welcome to Point Me to Jesus. I am your host, Tara McClary-Reeves, and I am so incredibly excited to introduce you today to Wayne Atchison. Wayne has been a prayer warrior for my family for decades. He is a prayer warrior for your family. Uh, Wayne is an amazing child of God, an amazingly disciplined and devoted historian. Wayne, I even refer to you often as, as one of our modern day biblical scribes because oh. Wayne really does uh, see God's hand in every circumstance, truly. And Wayne is a great documentarian of that biblical history. Wayne, just to show you a little bit about, about how admired he is in Christian circles, he was appointed the very first director of the Billy Graham Library in 2006. At that time, my husband Lee and I were living just right up the road in Mooresville, North Carolina. So I was blessed to attend many of the functions that Wayne and his staff put on there at the library. And we definitely would encourage you to go to that wonderful destination. Wayne and his wife, Barbara, will soon, I think in two years, be celebrating a half century of marriage, if I'm yeah. correct. Um, right. Wayne is still uh, active as an employee of the Billy Graham Association. He is their historian. So if you want to know Dr. Billy Graham's favorite hymn or favorite food, Wayne Atchison is definitely the man to ask. Wayne is also a prolific author. He has written eight books. And I can't wait to find out what the Holy Spirit's going to prompt him to write next. But um, Wayne's most recent release is one that I enjoyed. in just an afternoon, it was very, very easy read, but it was a very impactful read as it challenged me as a believer to get on my knees uh, daily for revival, not only in America, but in my own heart. So Wayne, thank you for that challenge. Wayne. Amen. One of Wayne's most popular books was Impact for Life, which is a history of FCA. Uh, Wayne loves sports like my husband and I do. Wayne was actually uh, the director for Tide Pride. So all of you University of Alabama fans, he represented well. One of his two alma maters is he graduated from uh, Stanford University, where our daughter Caroline is a rising junior. And... Uh, Wayne also graduated from the University of Alabama. Wayne, it is truly an honor to have you with us today. Oh, my pleasure. I tell you, I'm, I'm just so thrilled for you. I've watched you since you were born, you know, so it's happy day for me. Well, I just thank you because I, I am a product of, of yours and Barbara's prayers. And I want our audience to know, Wayne, that, that that's just the man that you are. I mean, you truly are surrendered to the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't mind giving our uh, listeners and our viewers just a peek into your past, because your dad was... Um, was really an amazing evangelist, especially in the South. And you and your brother, Randy, who is an accomplished musician himself, who's played at Carnegie Hall numerous times. I think he may even hold the record for a number of times at Carnegie Hall. But you boys traveled with your dad. So you really began early to see God's movement, just like I did. In the, the hearts and lives of people, we had a first row seat the Holy Spirit's activity. So can you tell us a little bit about, about that background? Oh, I'd be happy to. You know, I, God planted me in small town 
Alabama, Maplesville, population 1,000, has never had a, a red light, a street light. But my daddy was a small town country preacher. And uh, he had a passion to preach, you know, since I was born, he was already a preacher. So I was raised on tent, uh, on street preaching, tent revivals, small town country church revivals. I was raised on evangelism and revival. And um, my daddy, of course, preached for 63 years. And, and, you know, us four boys, none of us ever rebelled against what our daddy stood for and preached. And, um, when I went with him street preaching as a boy, I didn't know I was supposed to get under the car and hide and be kind of embarrassed. I thought it was great. And uh, so that's where I get my passion, even still today, for evangelism. It comes from my father, who passed on at the age of 79 in 2001. But he preached two months before he died on his radio program that he had for 53 years. So I'm so happy that the Lord planted me into such a home. And of course, my other uh, brother, Gerald, was a great Christian. And my older brother really was um, uh, physically and mentally handicapped all of his life. And my mother was a saint because we took care of Junior in the home for 44 years until God took him on. And then when I was nine, Randy came along and God gave him a great talent for music. And uh, 19, he went to Juilliard School of Music. And yes, he's played Carnegie Hall piano 14 times. And um, it's it just uh, really been a blessing to see um, how God has used us and how God has moved us from place to place. And, and um, I'm just thankful to God. I'm just live today for revival, though. That's what I live for. Yeah. I will tell our audience, too, Wayne, that you're, you have a passion uh, not only for, for history, especially biblical history, uh, but prophecy and revival. And you have touched on those subjects quite often in, in all eight of your books. But your latest release, the Asbury Revival, talks about how the Lord really touched the hearts of these college students, these young people at Asbury College in Kentucky, to just Call, ignite a fire across across the world and and you've done a lot of research in um jonathan edwards background with the first great awakening that occurred if i'm if i'm not mistaken i think it was in the 1730s 1740s yeah and interesting to me wayne just how the lord often does ignite a revival in the hearts of, of young people yeah and uh, and so tell us a little bit about this latest project and why you are so passionate about it. Well, yes, um, Tara, I did start teaching revival, uh, prophecy many years ago. In fact, it was when I was Alabama. I would teach my college Sunday school class prophecy. And, um, and then in, when I got to um, Richmond in 2009, I began to teach uh, revival history. And um, as I taught it, I learned about the great revivals that they'd had at Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky, 20 miles south of Lexington. And, uh, you know, I knew about Asbury because Barbara's grandfather uh, was a 1915 graduate and became an outstanding Methodist minister out there in Kansas. And uh, but while he was living, I never had the conversation of learning what I did later about Asbury. But as I studied this 
Barb and I, three years ago this summer, went to Noah's Ark and the Creation Museum. And I love to go to the historic sites of revivals. And so we went to those two places and the next stop was Cane Ridge, great, greatest camp meeting in the United States history, just 20 miles north of Lexington. It was a camp meeting in 1802 and three. So we got there, but then my next stop was Asbury College. Never had been there, but I had read about it, seen films about it, and, and they'd had several revivals there. Yeah. This college started in 1892, and uh, it was the first holiness college in America. It was actually a Methodist college. Yeah. And uh, so through the years, they've had student revivals, but in 1970, or in 1968, a young lady came there as a missionary's child, as a freshman, a, co a college co-ed freshman. And she just felt that this, this school had, they needed revival again, got all the names of the student body and the faculty, and she put them in cards. And as she would stand in the lunch line or anywhere she had a few minutes, she'd get those cards out and she started praying for those students. Now, this was when she was a freshman. And her parents were missionaries in South America and had been there all of their life, you know, since they left college. And, and um, so therefore, she began after two years to get other students involved. And they would pray not for a revival, but they would pray that Jesus would come to their campus. And they would, they would gather and they'd have all night prayer meetings and every every morning before those three chapel services during the week, they would gather downstairs and pray for that chapel service. Do you think Jesus is going to come today? Do you think he's going to come tomorrow? That's what they prayed. And so on this particular day, February 3rd, 1970, um, they, they gathered, it was snow outside. And uh, so they went to their seats. Everybody has assigned seats. Seniors sit here juniors, sophomores, and so her college, her, 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 her seatmate, now let me get the idea of, let me paint a picture of this auditorium. It's called Hughes Auditorium. It's not called a chapel. Has 1,500 seats. It built in 1928. It's got these old wooden chairback seats, and uh, so her seating mate says, well, nothing's going to happen here today because the academic dean is in charge and the president had left on to go out of town to Alaska on college business so he got up and this is what happened he got up and he says today I'm going to tell you about my testimony and how I came to Christ he didn't come to Christ until he was an adult and and he spoke 10 minutes and then he said now I'm going to open it up to anybody who would like to give a testimony and they had done this before and so when he gave that invitation the number one rebellious student on campus stood up over in the senior section and this is what he said he says I'm a hypocrite but last night in the dorm God came into my life and I am different and and I love Jesus with all my heart. Well, that just opened up to other students standing. 
And one by one, they began to tell their testimony. And it got to be so many that they needed to come up front behind the podium. And, and, and this went on for when the hour came to they were supposed to, the bell rang to go to the class at 11 o'clock, nobody moved. And it went for 185 consecutive hours, seven days, seven nights consecutively. And to me, uh, Tara, uh, what happened there in those seven days is the greatest student-led campus-wide revival in American history. Yeah. And, and you know, it went all over the country and parts of the world. And, and of course, uh, um, it still lives today. And so that's just the beginning of this. But of course, this girl, Janine Brabon, let me just say one thing about her. Parents were missionaries in South America. She came to high school over in Selwood, Florida at this academy, a Christian academy. And um, one of her classmates was Ruth Graham. Billy Graham's third daughter. They went to school together, went to class together. And I've talked to Ruth about her. And of course, they still stay in touch. And um, I thought that was wonderful. And then, of course, Janine got to Asbury, where all of her family went to college. The parents, her three siblings, and they all were missionaries. And so that's Janine. Uh, it's amazing. Seems like every revival, God uses one person you know, with the passion to yeah. really start the fire going, yeah. the flames going. And in this case, it was Janine Graybond. I don't think our, our viewers and our audience may not understand just how incredibly volatile this year was in America. You know, it's the height of the Vietnam conflict. Now, my dad is very clear to say that when you were there, it was a war. It wasn't a conflict. And so you, you have all of this turmoil that's going on internally within our own country. And so you have, you have campuses like Kent State where they're marching burn baby burn. And you have those like Janine that are on their knees crying out to the Lord, you know, send your fire upon us Lord because we can't do anything apart from you. And so their eyes were so intently upon him that when the academic dean called the president and said, hey, we have a problem, President Kinlaw's first thought was, we've got, you know, these protesters on campus. Yeah. It, was, it was the most beautiful revival. And the fact that they ended up canceling classes for those seven days because they knew that there was no academic focus that was going to take the place of what the Lord was doing in the hearts of those students on campus. Well, it was a, a, a real wonderful part of the story how Dr. Kinlaw had left that morning. Godly man, great man of God. He was the perfect man to be there yeah. for this revival. And uh, so revered. And, and um, yes, I don't mind saying that, you know, he, he did get a phone call after he got there. And um, at five o'clock and from that uh, dean and said, we've got a problem on campus. Well, all he thought about was presidents being locked up in their offices like they were and right. things going on at Kent State and all yeah. kind of riots on campus. And yeah. he just, his blood pressure went up real high, he said. <laughs> and uh, he said, what's the problem? It's chapel, this chapel. Yeah. And he said, what's the matter with chapel? He said, it's still gone. Yeah, And, you know, it, it just thrills my heart to just think about uh, how that, you know, 
for 198 consecutive hours, it never stopped. There was not, like you said, there was no way to have class because when Jesus comes, you don't want to be anywhere else. And time, food, and um, sleep didn't matter. In fact, Janine told me that during those seven days, she probably ate nine meals and maybe slept 20 hours. And you know the reason why? She just couldn't afford not to be there. It was so awesome and so powerful. She didn't want to miss anything. And so you you highlight that lordship factor so much and that personal accountability for all of us to daily, you know, give an account for the thoughts that may be hindering our growth and our walk with the Lord Jesus, the confession that's so important, the things that people may look and think, well, she never struggles with that, but the Lord knows our heart. And, and I just think what you're doing is it's so incredibly pivotal through this project because it's a wake-up call to all of us. Well, thank you for bringing all of that out because, you know, you can't have revival without repentance. And, and I want to tell, tell our audience what, what this revival was about. It, it was repentance of sin. It was students giving testimony, confessing of sin. It was restitution. It was reconciliation with broken relationships. People would go to each other and say, I'm sorry for this that I did to you. And it was a lot of that. It was um, a lot of, uh, there was a tremendous wave of love that came all over that student body, all over the campus. It was just a heavenly wave of love. And it was many getting saved, Tara, who thought they were saved. Yeah. It was many getting saved for the first time. Yeah. It, was, it was many being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, what I, I love so much, and it was many committing themselves to full-time Christian service and even to the foreign mission fields where they are still today. You see, most of these students, they're all 68 to 71 years old today. So it was my joy to be able to talk to some of these students and every time I talked to them, Tara, I would ask them, what do you remember about this revival week? And they would tear up. They began to tear up. And it's still in them. The glory is still in their heart. And it's never left. Yeah. And, but anyway, uh, you know, there was so many people in there. The, uh, what it was, it was testimonies. It was singing. It yeah. was praying. And, and there was no preaching which would surprise a lot of people. But in that seven days, there was no preaching. And, and it, it, who was the leader? The Holy Spirit was the leader. That's the way it was. Yeah. And, and so finally, after seven days, you know, they didn't close, turn the lights out. The lights stayed on. Students still came in there day and night to that chapel. But they went back to class. And, and of course, as you know, they began to go out all over the country and the witness of what was happening. And the local journalist that everybody admired and respected even brought his wife. And they were literally, the report was just phenomenal. I mean, how you how you pretty much provide the transcript where the reporter is saying, and you, you and I in journalism know that just doesn't happen. I mean, you're yeah. so kind of objective. And he's telling everybody, hey, you may have the newspaper in your hand. You may be fixing dinner, whatever <laughs> you're doing, stop and watch this segment because there is an uh, there's a supernatural happening that is 10 minutes from where the studio is 
That's right. That was wonderful. That uh, it was amazing how that at first the, the president didn't think they should have him on there, but to come. But it was a God thing that he did, and yeah. they let him come. And then he reported it, and and the news just spread like crazy. You know, within three or four days, see the students begin to call home. They would go to the payphone telephone booth. You know where you put the dime in, yeah. and you call and you call long distance and uh, they were lying, lining up, you know, to call home and tell their parents. That's how the news first got out. And then of course, colleges and seminaries and churches were calling, could you send a student to our church or our school and let us hear about it? And you know, Tara, what was so thrilling is everywhere they went, revival broke out there and they didn't have to talk, but just five minutes or 10 minutes in a classroom or in a setting of students or in a church. Dr. Kinlaw said the less impressive the student, it seemed the more impactful the witness was. You know, Tara, at some places, you know how we are in FCA, we got to have a big introduction for people, but there were places where the student's name wasn't even called out who was going to speak and still revival broke out. It didn't matter who the student was, just the message was brought to them. Yeah. And there was one place in Anderson, Indiana, where they went to give a witness and, and Tara it lasted 50 days and 5,000 decisions came to Christ. Yeah. And, and of course, they went, the, you know, I love the one about the, the two boys, just the two general average students yeah. somehow got to California. And, and so they had a service and Dr. Kenlaw tells a story about these two boys and they walked in and told the ushers that we're here to see the pastor. We're from Asbury College. We've having revival at Asbury and, and God told us to come and tell you about it. Well, they brought him into the pastor's study and uh, they thought, we've got our program all lined up for this Sunday night service. We've got a quartet and, and who are these boys? And I can't give these boys time in my service. So finally said let's give them five minutes one of them spoke Dr. Kenlaw said for maybe a minute and 40 seconds and the other about two minutes and uh he said well that's all we're supposed to do and so they went on to their service and so the quartet gets up to sing yeah. and they sang one verse and the and the bass singer holds up his hand and he says I need what these young men have talked about what they're having going on at, at Asbury College. And so that service went almost all night just with those two little boys getting up and talking about what happened at Asbury. And, and you know, my book is filled with that. What was so yeah. great, Tara, is that about writing the book and that there were two students and a faculty member who had the presence of mind to write down and journal what was going on in those services you know, during those 185 hours. And then of course they would write about what's happening, you know, as they go out. And, and of course, students didn't have much money. <laughs> they pile into a car and, and they just go. You know, I love the students. That's the way college students are. They, there's no bounds to them. When they get on fire with Jesus, you can't slow them down. And that's what I love about young people. I believe in young people for revival. Yes. And the high school students, the junior high, even the children. Yeah. But I certainly believe in the college students. And uh, 
And, you know, this was, uh, I do put in the book a lot about how this revival spread to 130 colleges and churches and seminaries and in other parts of the, of the world besides uh, just the United States and in just a few months. Well, I love the fact that you're so intentional to document these God stories. Have you talked to any to see how the Lord prepared their hearts at that particular time going into this national pandemic? Well, you know, I, I do love to talk to those people. And the thing about it is they, they, um, they all still live for revival. And I haven't talked to them specifically because of the year, the way it was. I was going to go back a year, uh, a time or two last year. Yeah. But it just was prohibitive about going back and talking with them about what they feel. But I do believe what you've just said is really important because in, in, in revival history, you see, in, in, in 1857, in the great prayer revival with Louis Zampier that started with six men praying in New York City in that church. And then in six months, there were six, there was 10,000 people praying across America. And, and a million people in a year and a half's time out of 30 million came to know Christ. And, and you see what happened at just a few days after those, that initial prayer meeting started, the stock market crashed. And it just really brought people to their knees. And then I read about the Zuzu revival in 1906 in California in Los Angeles. And of course, that revival just started a few days and there was the San Francisco earthquake. And it was the largest city on the West Coast. And um, 80% of that city was destroyed. 3,000 people lost their lives. And, and that had a mighty impact on bringing people once again to their knees. And you think of this pandemic. It has really changed our life totally. But, you know, I still wonder. Uh, it's going to be either revival or judgment. You know, for us, even today, 9-11 uh, was really bad but we didn't come to repentance. You know, we went to church for three or four Sundays pretty regularly as never before, but there was no repentance of sin at that time. And, and uh, I just, today, I, my last chapter was called to revival. And I, I, do, I do say that America is ripe for revival and America needs Jesus. The whole, you see, the revival is Jesus. Jesus is the revival. When he comes, there will be great uh, confession of sin, repentance that we need so desperately in this country with all the sin. And you know, to me, Tara, we live in the, as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah and yeah. as in the days of Noah. I just believe it has to be worse yeah. than it was then. And I just think that the day is urgent. There's a great, uh, Jesus is coming soon. And, and uh, time is running out yeah. and, and we have to come to revival and, and we have to come to invite Jesus, you know, to come. He is the revival. And uh, when that happens, um, things will be different. And, and we all who are being praying and who have been working for uh, God to change this nation and bring us back to God. There is no fear of God, seemingly with so many but yes, I, I just uh, think that God is going to do something and it's going to happen real soon. In this book, you read what revival looks like when it comes. Yeah. So many people have never experienced revival, but when they read this little book, they'll see what happens. Yeah. 
and there be and it would just make all the difference in the world when yeah. you pray for revival yeah. and we'll know what we're praying for this is what we're praying for yeah. so many books are about revival how to have revival and so forth but yeah. this really tells you what happens during revival it does and it also wayne and i, I think you probably agree with this because we are in this influencer generation um, but the greatest influencers are those that we're never going to know their names. You know, they're in their prayer, they're in their prayer closet. You bet. They are on their knees, um, just literally uh, petitioning Amen. The, of the Holy Spirit. And, and so I want to encourage those listeners and those viewers that feel so unnoticed at times. Oh, and it's because we're in such a comparative, you know, community that God, God sees and God hears and in his perfect timing, he is going to, and there is no prayer that availeth nothing. I mean, it says that the righteous prayers, the man, the prayers of a righteous man or woman availeth much. That's right. You know, that, that, and they don't do it for that reason. So don't get me wrong. I I know the genuine ones that are praying, they don't care about the recognition, but the Lord and he's going to do a mighty movement um, answering their prayers. And that, that's yeah. encouraging to me. I'm so glad you brought that out because we got so many of those kind of people here at the Billy Graham Library. You talk you talk about feeling the presence of the Lord on that Asbury College campus. I haven't been to the Billy Graham Library uh, that I have not felt the presence yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Again, I know it's just, you know, your discipline to cry out to the Lord for every person that walks onto those grand, the famous, uh, the Billy Graham Training Center. You know, I mean, Amen. everywhere that y'all go as the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, you you bathe that event in prayer, and it's so evident. He is alive, and he is working mightily, um, and I, I'm just so grateful. Wayne, I'm so thankful for your obedience and for where the Lord has placed you over the years and the fact that, you know, you are one of my heroes of the faith. Um, there's so many that seem to be dropping like flies recently. And I'm just so thankful for you and Barbara and mom and dad that are committed to the cause of Christ, unwavering. Amen. So I yeah. want to get to FCA before we close. So yeah. I want everybody to buy the book. We're going to put links to all of your books, but especially this latest one, Asbury Revival is a must read. Um, and I'm just so grateful of you sharing that. But tell us in closing, Wayne, your history with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, why it means so much to you and um, and what you have upcoming. You are planning things all the time, but this exciting reunion that's going to take place in May. Well, of course, when I grew up, church and athletics was pretty much my main interest. And, and I spent 28 years, and believe it or not, in college football before I even got to Billy Graham. But, you know, I was on the FCA national staff 12 years and I was a senior in college and uh, at Sanford University when we went to Black Mountain in 1964, the first conference. And I found the guys I'd been looking for all my life up until that point. And so FCA has been half of my life. And I went to Kansas City at 25 on the national staff. And then I went to Indianapolis and had the city and then six states. But it's been wonderful to have written the 40-year history of FCA and most of the 50-year coffee table book. So Albert Long, our dear brother Albert Long, who went on to be in God's Hall of Fame last uh, October, 
Yeah. Uh, he and I have um, always been friends since 64. And Danny Lotz, you know, and and Graham Lotz is a husband. And and so we have a friend out in uh, Oklahoma named Chuck Bowman who's put together three FCA weekends, uh, re FCA um, reunions. And I had Albert to go out in 2018. And Wayne, we got to have one at Black Mountain. So we were working, we were working on this together. Yeah. And um, so we're going to have a FCA reunion at Black Mountain with all the people who've been there since 1964. It's the only place in America where we've had FCA camps at this one site every year. And yeah. so it's coming along really good. It's going to be May the 25th through the 27th. And uh, we're going to have all the past FCA presidents there. Uh, my buddy Ray Hildebrand, who is the number one guitar player and leader of singing, He's the original. Now he's the, he'll be leading the singing. He's 80 years old, but he's he 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 still leads it like he was 40. And um, and so we'll have your dad there and Pat Williams and a lot of the coaches. And we have uh, what we do is we go for three days and we have three panels and I interview a lot of about 15 different people, give short witnesses about their experiences in FCA. We sing and. And we hear Pat, we hear your dad and all these other people that people have heard through the years uh, and sing songs that we thought we'd never sing that song again in our life. Yeah. And uh, we'll hear your dad tell this story like, well, we thought we'd never hear that again. And, um, you know, when your dad came back from Vietnam, we had a, many FCA camps where he came and spoke. And I remember at Mars Hill College, yeah. you know, I would button your dad's Marine jacket up for him. Yeah. And uh, that was late 60s, you know, when he came back. And yeah. uh, so uh, this this FCA reunion, though, is, is really uh, kind of makes you feel like you're 25 years old again. Oh. And, uh, you know, how reunions, you know, as far as people like my age and so forth, we love reunions, seeing people we haven't seen in 40 years. Oh. And um, it's just a little piece of heaven. So oh. that's what this is going to be. You have just impacted my life, my husband's life, the yeah. family, the discipleship aspect of FCA has yeah. been so solid throughout the years. And I know it's because of, of leaders like you. And I'm just so grateful, Wayne, for the way the Lord is just blessing us through your obedience in such an amazing yeah. way. One last thing, uh, who would you say is your hero of the faith from God's word? I know you have a lot of heroes that um, are modern day heroes, but from God's word, who would you say is your hero? Faith? Well, I love Joseph. I really love Joseph's story. I, I wish that I've read the Bible through a lot of times and I still do that every year. Right now, I, this is my fifth year to read the revival study Bible. And I read, I read about revival every morning because it has what this scripture pertains to revival. And it has all the great revival stories of history intermingle with that scripture. And so I just, I just uh, love my prayer time in the morning in my prayer closet. And I love my Bible time. And uh, that's the way I always have started my life every day for I don't know how long. But uh, I love Joseph's story and, and uh, how he was, he went through so much, but boy, uh, how he he really rescued his family and and um, and that story is is a wonderful story to me. It is challenge us in closing, Wayne, and you already have, but just some practical ways 
that we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot join with you in praying for revival in our country. Yeah, I just, I tell you what, I, I just want to get this book uh, into the hands of as many college students as I can. And uh, because they can see that you never know, it only takes one. Uh, but I tell you what, people need to, to uh, pray for revival every time they pray. They need to, to really expect revival when they pray. And they need to uh, uh, encourage our preachers and our pastors to pray, uh, to, to preach the word and to preach salvation and to preach repentance and, and to preach especially against sin. And that's so rampant today. And uh, so I just, I just really challenge people to realize that time is running out and we don't have much time and, and every day counts. And, and, you know, every day we should pray and we should give God the glory for our lives. And we should believe that we're the last Christians on this earth. He planted us here at this time. And we have a great responsibility, uh, as I believe, the last Christians on earth to proclaim the gospel and to live it and, and to encourage our young people, especially the young people really need to be in church. They need to be in the Christian groups. They need to, to be with Christian friends because the choices they make is so vital for their lives and, and they can get so interrupted with so many terrible uh, temptations that lead them off and astray. But young people, that's why I loved FCA in college. Yeah. I loved how they would come to FCA and they would be with FCA friends and, and they had their group and, and it kept them close to Jesus and it kept them out of sin. And, and that's why I love the young people and I love to see them grow in their faith. And I love to see us as adults, uh, encourage them to be strong in the Lord and then the power of his might. And then if they do, then God's gonna use them. That has a great plan for them, everyone. Just like little Janine, she never dreamed what she was praying for. She never dreamed, she just thought about Asbury, didn't think about parts of the world. But uh, that's my heart today. Yes, well, thank you for sharing your heart. Wayne Atchison, I am a product of your prayers and I'm so grateful and I'm appreciative of your instruction over the years to me and how you continue to instruct and encourage and challenge us all to, um, to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and to be aware of his working all around us on a daily basis. But again, to be very, very personally accountable for those yeah. things that we need to confess and repent of so yeah. we can become more and more like him. Thank you for being our guest today on Point You to Jesus because you, my friend, are definitely pointing everyone that you meet to Jesus and we applaud you and thank you for it. Well, thank you. It's been a, a real blessing for me just to be with you today and to know of your family and your background and how God has used you in such a mighty way and continues to. You just really glow with the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ and your family and thank God for you. Thank you, Tara. We love you and Miss Barbara. Give her my love and have a blessed day. Thank you. God bless. Bye.